What's up gamers, I'm Tori Dominguez. And I'm Noah Hertz. And welcome to Press Start. It's the gaming podcast that does what Nintendo don't, specifically archiving old games. <laughs> that's that's a good one, what Nintendo don't. <laughs> we owe that one to Sega, that was all Sega in the 90s, yeah. so shout out, shout out to my boys at Sega, specifically Sonic the Hedgehog, I love you. Ah, we love Sonic the Hedgehog on this podcast. So, what is going on in the world of news? Seems like there's a lot that's been going on. Yeah. Especially since we didn't do too much news last week with Alana. We just wanted yeah, to have had, some fun. Uh, we had a light gaming news last week. But, you know, most of this, most of this stuff is, like, more recent stuff. I want to yeah. start off with something that is not the big heavy hitters. I mean, we got Nintendo stuff. There's PlayStation stuff to talk about. But I want to start off with Bloodborne Cart. Tori, have you seen Bloodborne Cart? I've seen Bloodborne Cart, and it looks cool as hell. Um, isn't it made by the same people that, are, that did the Bloodborne PS1 demake? Yes, the, the Bloodborne PS1 demake, which we, I'm going to link an article in the, in the, whatever you call it, the show notes about it from The Verge. The Bloodborne PS1 demake was made by a game dev, an indie game dev, by the name of Lilith Walther, with like a team of other people, of course. But it's Bloodborne... At least the first area, Yarnum, completely redone to look like a PlayStation 1 game. Complete with, like, tank controls and funky, weird, dithered text. And, like, it really is incredible the way it looks. So, to celebrate the fact that Bloodborne came out seven years ago, they are using the assets from their Bloodborne PS1 demake and they're making a kart racer set in various areas, and including the streets of Yarnum in the ps1 graphical style and it's it's fucking incredible i absolutely love looking at it it is yeah i it looks hilarious like it being in the cart and the cart looks like a medieval torture tool but just the art of the ps1 demake is so cool i think that's such a like interesting era artistically and one thing that it actually reminded me of because i wanted to like look at the ps1 demake because i i've seen bloodborne be played um what really struck me was how much it reminded me of other like PS1 era horror games. Like I was looking at or even PS2 actually. I was yeah. looking at it and I was thinking about the original Devil May Cry. Like that was very strongly the vibe I got. Devil May yeah. Cry, by the way, is intense. Like just a, such a great vibe. At least like someday I'll ones. play this. I don't games. know yeah. so much about the remake, but mm-hmm. I just love like it's super dark. There's lots of blood. I mean, like yeah, the Bloodborne, but there's just just something really menacing about it that i think is super cool and mm-hmm. uh yeah it looks super cool oh another ps1 demake thing i actually saw recently was someone it wasn't like a full like redo of an area but someone did a demake art of godric from elden ring and oh, it looks cool. super cool i have to send you that i'll link it in here but it looked it just looked so it looked crunchy in the best way like, all of his yeah. arms were, like, polygons, and it is just magnificent. So, we love... That early 3D graphical style with, like, the really crunchy-looking polygons is... Yeah. It, it was, I guess, as somebody who grew up when games looked like that, it's it was an acquired taste. Because, I mean, when I was a kid and everything was 3D, it was like, oh my god, the 3D looks so cool. But now that we've gotten to the point we're at, I don't know if it has the same 
I don't know if I would call it like the same beauty that something really good pixel art has. Like I know we've used Celeste as an example on this show before. Yeah. Like pixel art that has really great, really beautiful look to it that way. But that PS1 style was really good at creating a very specific atmosphere. And I, I know personally, I just haven't played enough modern fan made and just modern indie developed games that are set in that kind of a graphical style. But the ones I have played have been very good at doing that kind of eerie throwback vibe specifically. So the, I know Bloodborne Cart might not specifically be going for that vibe, but it is cool to see more games lean into that PS1 style. Yeah, I'm totally into it. And as someone who owns a PS2 and has some access to some PS1 games, I'm starting to lean more and more into that time period. Bloodborne Cart is not, by the looks of it, coming out anytime soon. Bloodborne Cart is coming out, quote, when it's ready. So keep your eyes peeled for Bloodborne Cart, but in the meantime, check out the PS1 demake of Bloodborne. Yeah, totally. So speaking of any developers, there is a new game from Monkey Island, right? Yeah, this is, so we're getting a new Monkey Island game, which I think, I'm not crazy knowledgeable about the Monkey Island games. I know that they were an old LucasArts joint. I know they are like kind of the thing that put LucasArts on the map in the 90s, other than the fact that they were making Star Wars games and they had George Lucas's name behind them. But two of the original creative folks behind Monkey Island, specifically Ron Gilbert and David Grossman, have said that they are planning on making a new Monkey Island game. So people aren't familiar, Monkey Island was like the pioneering point-and-click adventure game that was made by LucasArts in the 90s. My understanding is that Gilbert specifically was involved with the first two or three games and then left the creative team. And that's kind of the point where everybody seems to, based on reviews I've read in the last week, kind of agree that the games went downhill. Like, those first two or three are the gold standard of the Monkey Island series. And people are mad excited to see that this series is coming back, especially since it's being done in coordination with the current Lucasfilm game studio that does exist from the ashes of LucasArts and Devolver Digital, which they have, like, a practically spotless track record as far as publishing goes. So, very cool. Um, have you ever played any, like, point-and-click adventure games, Tori? Um, not since I was a child, no. No. I mean, unless you count, like, Putt-Putt, which, by the way, is on the Nintendo Switch. Or is, is becoming it really? available. Yes. <laughs> and, like, Freddy, oh my god, what was the one? Freddy Fish, I think? Oh my god. Yeah, yeah look Freddy Fish. Yeah, they are becoming available on the Nintendo Switch. No joke. I, I, I might play Putt-Putt. It might be my, my post-Elden Ring palette cleanser, if you will. I didn't have Putt-Putt but I did have one point-and-click adventure game that was, like, Peanuts. It was a it was a computer game, and... Like Charlie Brown? Yeah, like Charlie Brown. It was, like, Linus had lost his blanket, and you had to do, like, point-and-click adventure stuff to help Linus find his blanket. But, as I've said on the show before, I was a really dumb kid, and, uh, holy fuck, it was way over my head. I just could not... I could not figure that shit out. I never helped Linus get his blanket back. SMH. Yeah... I don't know how interested I would be in a point-and-click adventure game. I don't know, because, like, I've... I kind of feel about it the same way I feel about those, like, visual novel games. Like, I think the mm -hmm. concept is really cool, and obviously it hinges on it having a good story, because that's kind of, like, all it has. But I've never been, like, so intrigued in one in particular that I've, like, really felt the desire to buy one. 
I'm you? glad you said that because I might be able to sell you. I, uh, I've kind of wanted to get into point and click games for a minute here because there have been a couple that have popped up on my radar as stuff that I thought was interesting conceptually. I just really haven't taken the dive into. And I think this might be, I don't know, I don't know if Monkey Island is going to be the one I go to because I have a feeling if I try to go check out the original Monkey Island from 1997, it's going to just be dense with 1990s video game logic. Um, <laughs> the last notable big game, as far as I know, I could be wrong here, but the, one of the last ones I've heard of that Ron Gilbert worked on before coming back to Monkey Island is a game called Thimbleweed Park, which is another point-and-click adventure game, but it is heavily inspired by 90s mystery TV shows like X-Files yeah. and Twin Peaks. Like the, the main characters of the game look almost identical to Mulder and Scully. And I've heard very good things about that. But there's another one that came out just within the last month that has been getting a lot of positive press. Granted, it's been a little buried underneath the fact that so many other games have come out this month, but it's called mm -hmm. Norco. N-O-R-C-O. Yes. Have you seen this? Yes, I've seen it. And like I saw the art and I thought it was cool and that it takes place in the South. I think that that's like a really interesting setting, especially for a video game. I feel like not many yeah. video games take place in the American South. Yeah, it's got that, um, like, southern gothic vibe. Yeah, it takes place in Louisiana. I've I've heard it compared pretty favorably to, like, Kentucky Route Zero and stuff like where the water tastes like wine and stuff like that. Because I agree, there's there's not a lot of games that take place in, the, in that kind of southern American gothic type vibe, but there's, like, a growing sub-genre niche of story-driven games that take place in that area. And I've heard that it's got a lot of critiques of, like, the the power plants and like the petroculture of the American South and how people are in the shadows of this big power plant. Excuse me. Mm. People are in the shadows of this big power plant. It looks, it looks very cool. It, it, yeah. I think that might be the game with the story that hooks me into checking out an adventure game. Okay. Yeah. I, 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 I might have to agree. I think that could be the point and click adventure game that gets me. I think mm -hmm. it's just because, and I think a lot of people have this assumption I just think of point-and-click adventure games as, like, putt-putt. Like, I think of it mm -hmm. as, like, super simplistic games for children to essentially teach them how to read or how to play games. Yeah. But, yeah, there's, like, a whole genre of, like, complex stories that adults can enjoy that I just, like, have not cracked into. But maybe Norco could do that for us. There's the Telltale games, too. Have you ever, do you ever mess with any of those? The Walking Dead ones, yes. I mean, yeah. does that count? Okay. I mean... I guess I I would say that counts because that that is kind of like an extension of point and click, even if it is more like focused on button prompts and that kind of thing. But I, I would say that counts to a degree. OK, well, yeah, I did play that with my brother, like in middle school and high school. I guess I just good? never thought of it as point and click because I was like not yeah. playing it on a computer. <laughs> but like I never played those. I liked them. Uh, granted, that was 10 years ago. But yeah. this is at, this is at like the peak of The Walking Dead's popularity. And, you know, it, I felt an emotional connection with the characters. Um, and one of the endings I got in whatever, there's like several iterations of that game, like different mm -hmm. sequels. Um, I do what I can to save and basically be a father to a girl named Clementine. Mm -hmm. um, and very good voice acting, actually. But in the end, uh, I believe my character got bit by a zombie and I chose to shoot myself. Oh, wow. Yeah. Whoa. There's another adventure game that just launched that kind of piqued my interest because, I don't know, 
I don't know if this was because Monkey Island got announced or it was just coincidental, but it seemed like a lot of games people I follow on Twitter were talking about point-and-click adventure games, which is awesome. I'm absolutely here for it. But another one that I saw just came out today as we're recording this, but a few days after when you listen to this, it's called Chinatown Detective Agency. And this one is being published by Humble Games on consoles. Humble Games is another publisher that has like a pretty spotless record as far as publishing goes. Um, can't think of too many games they've published off the top of my head, but Slay the Spire is one that they published on consoles, and that's like oh yeah, you're right, beautiful, wonderful game. Um, this one I've seen like the the basic plot breakdown is that it's a murder mystery, and you're a private investigator, and you're trying to solve mysteries and whatnot. But this one's being compared to I never played any of them, but the old Carmen Sandiego series of games that requires you to draw on outside knowledge beyond the video game world. Like, I, I've read oh, one review yes. where the guy was saying that somewhat to the game's detriment, but also to its positives, you were he was Googling things to try and, like, learn outside things to solve these puzzles. So that also sounded kind of cool. And That is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe this is Tori and Noah get into point-and-click adventure games. Yeah, if anyone who listens to this or who knows us is into these types of games and wants yeah. to suggest one for us that we just don't know about, like, please. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm definitely interested and open into, like, open to playing different types of games, including these. So. Yeah. Well, let's see. What else we got on the list? Um, You got some Zelda news, don't you? <laughs> I do have some Zelda news. Actually, I do. So... Breath of the Wild 2, which was supposed to be releasing this year. I don't know anyone who actually believed that. Like, if you believe that, like, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I never believed that. Uh, because these games just, like, take a long time to make. And, yeah, it just be like that sometimes. And Breath of the Wild 2 was pushed back. Not, like, super um, significantly far back. But it was pushed back to spring of 2023. That actually puts it at, geez, like exactly six years after Breath of the Wild release and the release of the Nintendo Switch. Uh, I have several thoughts about this. Uh, First of all, I'm okay with it. Like I'm okay. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna die if I don't get Breath of the Wild two this year because I have a backlog that is clogged with 100 hour long JRPGs and like that's my personal <laughs> problem I'm trying <laughs> so it's fine it's it's totally fine I have lots to to occupy myself with uh the second thing is I think delayed games sometimes make better games like I can't imagine what Animal Crossing would have been like if it had released like three or four months earlier as originally intended like that game already yeah. released kind of bare minimum to begin with yeah um, so I'm cool with them, like, adding all of the shit they need to add. Um, and then my third hot take about this <laughs> is Zelda games for, like, the past 20 years, maybe more like 15 years, tend to always release with a console. I'm just saying. Yeah. And I'm just saying. And, like, it's been exactly six years. Uh, or, or sorry, by, by this, like, the Breath of the Wild 2 release, which is supposed to be next spring. It'll have been six years since the last Zelda game and yeah. the Nintendo Switch as a whole. And I feel like if you look at like the the timeline between like the GameCube and the Wii and like all that stuff, just like the general 
like age gaps between consoles that's like prime time for a new console and i don't mean like a switch yeah. pro or whatever i mean like a whole last new console so my hot my hottest of hot takes is that they're pushing it back to roll it out with a console that we don't know about but that's yeah me. that wouldn't surprise me that much i think the the main thing i thought of coming out of this is that obviously barring a smoking gun coming out tomorrow and everybody then piling on and complaining about the culture of crunch at nintendo nintendo seems to have pretty have a at least nintendo of america i can't speak to the japanese company but like everything i've heard about nintendo of america is that they have far less toxic crunch than some other game development companies do and if pushing this game back by six months means that the developers don't have to work 80-hour weeks to get it out before a pretty arbitrary time, then I'm all for it. Like, absolutely. Plus, like you said, this is... The the first three, four months of this year have already been so stacked as it is. And for... <coughs> Elden if, Ring. <laughs> yeah, right? People are still going to be playing Elden Ring by the end of this year. and People are going to be playing it's... Elden Ring for, like, ever, dude. Like, they're going to be yeah. finding new shit in Elden Ring... Like yeah. ten years from now, when they're whenever they decide to drop Elden Ring DLCs, which they absolutely will, they absolutely and like absolutely will, yeah. should, it's just endless content. Yeah. So it it just makes me think of uh, that that quote that is always attributed to Shigeru Miyamoto that I'm not actually sure if Shigeru Miyamoto said, but it's that quote about you know a a rushed game is bad forever, but a delayed game is good eventually, or something to that effect. So. I say delay Zelda as long as you want to because it's probably going to be like one of the best games of the Switch when it comes out. So, oh, absolutely. Oh, will it be the best game on the Switch though? Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. We'll have to see. What yeah. else we got happening? Um, we got our Nintendo news. What else is happening in the world? We got some PlayStation news. Uh, right. We sure, did get some PlayStation what's, what's going news. Going on some PlayStation news. So there's been rumors in the background from, like, notable people. And we're not just talking, like, games leakers on the internet who have a spotty track record. We're talking, like, Bloomberg has been saying this for months, that PlayStation has been working in the background to try and come up with some kind of a system that can let them compete with Microsoft's Game Pass. And so we all kind of knew it was coming. It was kind of inevitable that they were going to roll out some new thing that tried to compete with game pass and so what they've come up with is a bracketed cast system for playstation plus that has various price points and gives you various things with those price points so i'm gonna run through this real quick tori see uh you can tell me which of these you would buy so we've got three brackets the first one is playstation plus essential So that is effectively what PlayStation Plus is now. So that gives you, I'm reading this all straight from PlayStation's website. I will drop all this stuff in the show notes. But this is like, this is the info that is available. This is what is launching in June. So PlayStation Plus Essential. That's the same thing that PlayStation Plus users get today. So you get the two games that they give you every month. You get online multiplayer, you get cloud storage, and you get a spate of discounts every month. That is staying at the same price of 60 bucks yearly or 10 bucks a month, whatever. That's, they're not changing that at all. So it is nice, at least, that the status quo is not changing. 
because I was kind of afraid that when they came in and they revamped things, they were going to eliminate the option that currently existed and force everybody into a more expensive bracket, whether we wanted it or not. So I am, I can't say I'm excited that I still get to spend $60 a year. Granted, I picked up my PlayStation Plus for 50% off around the holidays, which was like a fucking incredible deal. I got 30 bucks for a full year of PlayStation Plus, but I'm glad that one still exists. The next bracket is PlayStation Plus Extra. It's it's turning into some Nintendo-ass... Super PlayStation Plus. Nintendo Switch Online Plus Bonus Pass, or whatever the fuck it's called. Um, Oh, God. Expansion Pass. There we go. Expansion Pass. So this is PlayStation Plus Extra. So you get everything that you get with the Essential tier, but it also adds a backlog of, quote, up to 400 of the most enjoyable PS4 and PS5 games, including blockbuster hits from our PlayStation Studios catalog and third-party partners. So, okay, I, I haven't read too deeply into this. I kind of imagine the way, this, the way this is probably going to look, could be speaking out of my ass here, is, you know how, like, since you get two free games every month with PlayStation Plus and you accrue those games, you still have access to them when you move on to the next month, I imagine, like, I'm somebody who has sporadically on and off had months or a year of PlayStation Plus over the course of the last, like, four years. So when I have PlayStation Plus, I have a pretty sizable library of games because the games that I got with my subscription in 2018 still exist in my PlayStation Plus library. I imagine this is probably going to look like that, but you can just buy in and you get a full library of games, which is pretty cool. The downside here is that it's a hundred dollars a month up from the sixty. But wait, hundred dollars a month or hundred dollars a year? Sorry, it's a hundred dollars. Shit, <laughs> it's a hundred dollars a year or fifteen bucks a month. So it it does go up a little bit. But if they hold to that promise of immediately, just the second you put your credit card number in, giving you access to a bunch of games, I can see the value in it. Yeah. Okay. The last one is PlayStation Plus Premium. So this is everything from the previous two tiers, plus it's basically jamming PlayStation Now into it. So PlayStation Now was the kind of confusingly named alternate service that you had to pay for, didn't have to, that you could pay for monthly. This one wasn't required for online play the way Plus was, but this one gave you access to streaming a pretty sizable backlog of PlayStation 3 games. So, and I want to say there was some PS2 games on there, like classics, but I'm not 100% on that. I think it was mostly PS3 games. And that's like the only way a lot of those games are accessible on the PlayStation 4. So mm. it's it's kind of shitty. I I wish there was a way to do it other than streaming, but the PlayStation Plus premium bracket gets you all the other stuff plus quote up to 340 additional games including ps3 games via cloud streaming and a catalog of beloved classic games in streaming and download options from the ps2 ps1 and psp so i like hearing classics ps1 2 and portable ps download okay that is interesting that is really interesting yeah but again like what games though you know, like, I, I, I want to know what games, because, like... Are we getting Nintendo shit, where they're going to give you, like, bargain bin-ass bullshit They're going to get you, month? like, Jelly Bean Stacker 5000. Or are we getting, like, all... Are we getting all the Final Fantasies? Like, what are we working with yeah. here? Because I don't... I 
I know like there's certain classics that have like the actual like, classics like yeah on the cover of a physical game back when they used to do that. Do they still yeah. do that? Um, and like a lot of them are like Final Fantasy X, like that's certified yeah. classic. All the Kingdom Hearts games, certified which, hood classic. Certified hood classic. But like certain games that I really adore, like the Sly Cooper series, like would that be in there? That's a good. That's a good question. I also, don't know. Also, I fucking love the Sly Cooper series. No one talks Cooper, about it yeah, anymore. They're great. I just want to say, the <laughs> the release on PlayStation's website has lowercase C for cap for classic. It would be excellent if this was capital C for classic, like the classic series, like the green stripe PS one games and the red stripe PS two games. I think that is an incredibly lofty endeavor, but the fact that it does specifically say that. At least for the PS3 games, there's going to be games outside of just PlayStation Studios. I think, hopefully, there's going to be good stuff in here. But, boy, is it not endlessly frustrating that the PS3 games are only going to be available via cloud streaming. Like, that it is, is it that's is. an entire generation of games now that you will only be able to experience with varying levels of latency, depending on how rural of an area you live in if you're in the United States. like Yeah, it's it's really shitty. Like, internet, unfortunately, is not, like accessible to everyone even though mm-hmm. it's 2022 and i hate that i hate that being used as a gatekeep for like uh gaming i think that's so shitty yep. and yeah i hate okay i really hate to say this i'm like such a scumbag but like <laughs> if they have like persona one and two on one of these tiers i might do it and and they might because persona one and two were both re-released for the psp so and yeah. they were also available on the PlayStation Store for the PS3 as classics from the PS1. So there, there's any degree of possible... Like, like I said, this could be bullshit games. Like, yeah. Uh, this like, could be like uh, the three... Remember the 3D Pac-Man game for the PS2 and yeah. the PS1? It could be that was, shit. My mind immediately went to a roller skating kart racing game starring Sesame Street characters that I picked up at a Goodwill a while back. I remember my dad got us a fishing simulation game for the PS2. Yikes. Yeah, there's that one. Oh my god, what about about the Mosquito? Remember the uh, last episode? Mr. Mosquito, Mosquito, certified classic. Certified classic. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. The, and this final price bracket is 120 bucks a year or 18 bucks a month. So I have seen a lot of frustration and it's been that's kind of amusing. That first, that's a lot of fucking money. 120 a bucks a drop is a lot of money. Oh my God. When I said that I wanted a streaming platform that was like Netflix, but for games, I don't think I meant I want a platform where I can stream games with varying degrees of latency and also it's $120 a year. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. But I'm not really big about this. Like again, unless it's like a game that is super hard to find, super expensive yeah. to find, and I literally cannot legally play it anywhere else. Uh, I'm not really interested in this. And it's worth noting that's a growing number of games on all of these consoles. Like there are. Just the other day, I when I was researching stuff about Monkey Island, I saw that. The HD remaster of the first Monkey Island game was ported to the PS3. And so I was like, oh shit, I have my PS3 hooked up. How cheap is this? Can I drive to my local game store and just pick up a copy? So I searched on their website and they didn't have a copy. And I searched on GameStop's website and it didn't show anything. And I was like, okay, this is getting a little scary. What's happening? I went to eBay. Copies of Monkey Island HD for the PS3 were running for like 70, 80 bucks. 
I was like, guys, I can't fucking do uh, Why? It's a PS3 game. Stop no, it. No, I hate that. You know, it's crazy. Every I have like this disease where like every like two weeks I'll go on eBay and I'll look up mm-hmm. uh, PS1 copies of Persona 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. And the last diseases, time. Yeah. yeah, that's that's just straight up like that's that's a mental illness, love. And like I the last time I went on there, someone was selling like the actual case. Mm-hmm. And the instruction booklet, no CD. Oh my god! Just just a case in the instruction booklet for like two hundred dollars. God, people are out of yeah. their fucking minds. Yeah, that's. I, I just hate it. I hate it so much, and it just makes me want to buy all of the physical old ass games that I possibly can. Yeah. Uh, which speaking of, there's actually a retro game store opening like very close to where I live. Oh, um, yeah. It was featured on Polygon. It is called Limited Run Games. There's actually, yeah. like, again, Polygon ran an article about it. Um, their whole vibe is just like selling retro games, retro DVDs, even some books about gaming and some manga. Um, and I think it's super cool. And the pictures of the store look like it's supposed to look like a living room from the 80s. That's um, so cool. And we need more of that. I think we should all be supporting our local retro game stores. Um, I did a few weeks ago by buying a, like, reproduced N64 cartridge of Smash Bros, the original one. And that's just, I guess that's just the move for now, man. Like, unless you want, like, shitty cloud games. Yeah. And it it is worth saying, folks like Limited Run are doing really, really great work. Um, For listeners who haven't heard of these guys, they also publish a lot of games that are digital only otherwise onto consoles so like the the physical version of celeste on the switch was put out by limited run games same with like the physical version of scott pilgrim versus the world the game on the switch was put out by limited run games and on one hand it's like a surefire way to make money because i mean sure it's more expensive to buy the physical edition from limited run than it is to buy the digital edition of celeste that goes on sale every week on the switch but you don't have to rely on a digital storefront that could disappear tomorrow to play those games. And you physically own something you can hold on to. So the the idea of, and I, I, I did read the Polygon article. It's cool. They, they did say like, yeah, they're going to stock all the stuff they're publishing, but they do want to have retro games and DVDs and pre-owned stuff. So it's, it's really cool. Go open up Google Maps and find the local video game store near you and go support them because... Holy shit, used games are expensive as fuck, and it is, it's just unreal out there. Oh, and by the way, speaking of, like, online Nintendo eShop sales, uh, there's been some pretty big sales going on with Atlas games, so if you really want to play, like, SMT5 on the Switch, it's on sale right now. Also, if you still have a 3DS, which, like, God bless you, um, Soul Hackers, um, SMT Apocalypse, like, a bunch of Atlas games are like very steeply on sale on the 3DS shop. So now is your chance um, to do that. My only beef with that is that the only, like Atlas has Catherine full body for the Switch, but that wasn't one of the Atlas games on sale. Ooh, yeah, that that big sale of the Atlas stuff on the 3DS and Switch is going to run through April 17th, so. I kind of want you to buy Soul Hackers. (laughs) 
Can I Venmo you some money to buy the first Soul Hackers? Apparently, it's like cyberpunk. Yeah, it's, it's cyberpunk, so cool. and it's like a first-person dungeon crawler, like the old SMTs, right? Ugh, that sounds so fucking great, dude. Yeah, it does sound really cool. That sounds yeah, amazing. Go support your local game stores and try to buy things physically because there's no telling when Nintendo is going to wreck your shop and just shut everything down tomorrow. Absolutely. And speaking of other kind of shitty things happening in the world of games, this is more for like gaming journalism and not really for games. But um, yeah, so IGN posted a tweet saying that they were accepting uh, freelancers to do pieces. And, um, yeah, it's bad. Like, the articles, like, being paid to write an article, which, like, granted, are, like, shorter, like, news-gathering, yeah. like, type articles. Not full-blown, like, game reviews, but, like, just, just still articles are labor and still take a decent amount of time. And the starting rate was $20. Some people are saying that, like, in the, worlds of, in the world of games media, this is, like, bad but not unheard of. Yeah. Um, in my opinion, that's, like, fucking abysmal. I mean, I have written for publications that are not exactly IGN level big, but I've gotten paid more. Like, I wrote a personal essay about getting engaged in a pandemic for my local Alt Weekly, which, like, barely pays their writers a living wage. Um, and I still got paid about $180 for 800 words. Yeah. Damn. That's not bad at all. It's not bad at all. Yeah, it's. It, I was laughing because I put this in our Google Doc as something to talk about. And when I first put it there, I was like, we have to talk about this. Everybody on Twitter was talking about this for like two whole days. And then I was like, wait a minute. That might just be because I'm on, I, I have follow a lot of people in games media and I see a lot of media Twitter. But yeah, this isn't great no matter how you slice and dice it. I mean, 20 bucks, granted, like you said, this is 20 bucks for basically rewriting a press release, which might not take longer than an hour but like a well-written then then i saw spin-off discourse from this that was like being able to write an article in 30 minutes does not make you a good writer like uh even like a quick hit like the new trailer for sonic the hedgehog 2 the movie was just released this is what you'll see in the trailer the movie comes out this day da 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 like you still want to make sure that you're providing enough money to incentivize people to not just, like, do bad work. And you also compensate people for their labor. Now, when you go up yeah. to, like, more researched freelance pieces, they are paying more than 20 bucks. I saw it was, like, 35 and up, depending on amounts of reporting. But, I mean, even still. and it's still really rough, man. This led to a lot of people dogpiling on the editor at IGN, which is like, all right, we need to calm down. IGN is owned by a venture capital company. It is not their games news editor telling, like, the head honchos that they need to pay people 20 bucks for a story. This is an issue. This is an issue with all media outlets that are owned by venture capitalists who have decided that, you know, you crunch the numbers and this is how little you can pay people. But it does suck. Um, It's just not great out there in the freelance media world. Not to mention, I mean, freelance rates do tend to be though are they in a perfect world freelance rates would be a little higher because you're not providing the freelance writer with any benefits or any any solidity in terms of their gig beyond that check so i don't know there was a really interesting thread that was floating around and i'll link it on here too it was a spreadsheet that was 
It was initially created by the um, the International Workers of the World, their freelance journalists union, and it was crowdsourced. Like they just posted on Twitter, and they were like, "If you've written for a culture magazine, put the rates in here." And there were a lot of places in there that you know were not hot. They were not far off from what IGN was paying. I mean, I'm looking at it right now. Most places do pay per word. And granted, when I can understand where IGN doesn't want to pay for word for like a basic news article because that's the kind of thing that it might be a hundred words, it might be three hundred, and it's kind of hard to go by. But I mean, like looking at this, like Bandcamp pays fifty cents for a word. Bloomberg paid two fifty for a word. Makes sense. They're a bigger company. Gama Sutra, hundred and fifty bucks for a feature interview story from twenty eighteen. Like, it's it's pretty wildly fluctuating out there. Like we're all moving around a single point. But there's a lot of variance in terms of what freelance writers are paid, and I think a lot of that probably has to do with a lack of transparency. I mean, when you freelanced for that alt-weekly, were you aware of what the rate was going to be before you wrote it? Yes. You were? I was. What about when you wrote for um, the games magazine that you wrote your Second Life piece in? Yeah, I wrote for, so that was an unwinnable, and I did know what I was going to be paid. I was paid a, a nickel per word. But that was that was because it was understood that it was going to be like over a thousand words. So I ended up with like a fifteen hundred, sixteen hundred word story, and I was paid eighty bucks for it. So like that makes sense because it was it was limited reporting because it was. I'm not saying I wouldn't have loved more, but that was the justification is that it was limited reporting because it was longer and more of a personal essay, and it was long. So, but there there are a lot of outlets that are far less transparent about what they pay writers so they really ought to be more transparent about what they pay writers because what everybody reads games news everybody reads news and i'd be willing to wager everybody listening to this podcast reads at least an article every now and then on polygon or on kotaku or on ign so yeah i don't know it's just yeah it's it's a real issue and it just i just can't imagine writing an article and getting paid twenty dollars but I've also, yeah, I just, it makes me, there's a, there's a weird part of me that's like, I could, what if I went to games journals and like full time? And then I saw that and I was like, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. I'll stick to covering war and plagues. Well, and another point that I saw rightfully made too, I believe it was, uh, I believe it was the editor in chief over at Uppercut Crit who made this comment on Twitter. Like these, the reason that games journalism is so male and so white beyond the fact that the game space was such a boys club for so long is because when you tell people in order to break into the biz you have to accept making only $20 per story that you write for a while that's going to immediately shut a lot of people out who don't have the time or the excess funds set aside to grind out a bunch of stuff like that and still make a livable wage like that's it's it's the same argument you get in with unpaid internships like yeah a lot of people can't afford to do unpaid internships in order to get into specific fields and when you make that an expectation like a base level expectation you are shutting out a lot of people and just by nature of the way economic and socioeconomic brackets work you're disproportionately shutting out people from specific backgrounds and classes. So no, absolutely, it's it's so shitty, and uh, it just it just makes me sad. And 
Yeah, I think I don't really know what to tell people about this other than yeah. just just be a more conscious consumer. <laughs> yeah. Um, or if like, yeah, I don't I don't even know what to tell you. It's just I fucking sucks. Subscribe to your <laughs> subscribe to your local alt weekly and <laughs> provide a. Uh, Provide Kickstarter and Patreon money to the small. That's true. If you if there's a yeah. if there's a creator you really, you really like and you watch their YouTube videos for free and they have a Patreon and you have some extra money, yeah, please like donate to their Patreon. Like I started doing that with Hazel, just like a dollar oh, or yeah. two a month, and she's a real person and is a creator that I really like and like she's able to sustain herself and that's just really cool. So yeah, do that. I'll also drop a link to Hazel's YouTube video in the show notes because I think it's been a few episodes since we mentioned her channel. Really good stuff. Great shit. Really, really great stuff. She has like a 60-minute video about cozy anime JRPGs, which I could not possibly recommend enough. Oh, it's an amazing video. Nothing else that I really want to get into today news-wise, but I do want to hear what you've been playing. Okay, so I've been playing the same two games I've been playing for a month, and that's fine. Let's fucking but... go. Yeah, I think so are you. Uh, yeah. So yeah. just to like provide some checkpoints, an Ellen Ring, I was having a really tough time this week. I was having a tough time because when you don't follow quest lines, you make things very hard for yourself. And so what happened is I did not do Ronnie's quest line. And I was like, fuck, this seems like a lot of work. I'm going to chase down all these random guys to talk to me. And like, whatever. I just like want to kill Radon. Um, and so I go to Red Bank Castle. Lo and behold, it's crawling with enemies. Uh, huh. and I, like, finally beat them all. And I get to, like, a fog wall. And I'm like, oh, here's Radon. Like, here's the festival, right? Mm. And, uh, it's not. It's two bosses at the same what? time. It is Whoa. a much harder version of the lion boss from the castle in Weeping Peninsula. And then next to him is a super hard Crucible Knight. And uh, it's both of them at the same time. And it was so hard. What the uh, fuck? I literally, I low-key respect my build to include intelligence so I could, like, use magic to give myself just an iota of advantage. <laughs> um, real, like, real struggle bus. I could beat the lion guy, but I could not beat the knight to the point where I was facing them for an entire weekend and could not crack the knight. And my fiance was literally like, hand me the controller once you beat the lion guy. Oh and my I was god. Like, okay. And then I handed him the controller and he beat it he beat the knight for me. Like I'm just admitting that. Like I'm I'm I don't like I'm not good at these games, bro. Like I'm not There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. You, in a way, you kind of used a summon to help you out. You just, instead yeah. of using a summon, you just summoned your fiancé and handed him the Literally. Controller. And even he struggled. Like, he's, even he struggled. And he's, like, a huge, like, Soulsborne game guy. And he was like, damn, this night is really hard. That's bonkers. And so I do that. That's over. I go to the festival that's behind mm -hmm. this. And the festival's crickets. No one's there. No one's there. Huh. And I'm like... What the hell? And there was like one guy, and he's like, "Oh, blah blah blah," and he mentions a guy that's part of that's part of Ronnie's quest line. He's like, "You should go talk to this guy," and then by directing you to that guy, you were forced to do Ronnie's quest line. 
Oh, so then wow. the festival is activated, so you go back to that castle, and then you face Radon. Huh. So. Wow. Did you end up beating Radon? I did, and it only took me, like, 20 minutes. Wow. It only took Holy me 20 shit. minutes, because I had, like, nine summons. I've just, mm-hmm. like, met a lot of guys, apparently. And I don't know if this has happened, because there's been, like, a couple of patches of, like, nerfed and unnerfed Radon. I feel like everyone has had different Radon experience. But... In my personal experience, whenever he killed summons, once you got to the second phase, you could actually revive summons that had been killed. Oh, wow. So at any point, I had, like, at least five summons on his ass, and I was just using rock sling from, like, a very far distance. (laughs) Up on a hill behind a barricade. Literally. Literally, bro. Yeah, and, like, Alexander the Pot is, like, twisting his little pot arms and, like, slapping him and, like, all sorts of crazy stuff. And, yeah, it took me 20 minutes. That's so whack. We are having radically different experiences. What is your experience? So, I, I feel like when we mentioned we were playing Elden Ring, spoilers. Um, so, you went and did the academy. I went to Kaled directly. I got to the castle. I'm probably considerably lower level than you are because I'm stuck on the Radon fight right now. I, uh, I listened to most of the three-hour deep dive bonus episode that Into the Aether did about Elden Ring, and one of the hosts in there mentioned when he finally cracked the nut and figured out how to beat Radon, and I was like, I need to try that, and I just haven't gotten around to it. I had kind of a hectic work week, but um, the so I show up at the castle, and the entire place is crickets. There was like two what? big lot. Yeah, there was like two lion dudes with swords in their mouth. Yeah, yeah, on their you paws. just avoid them. I, I ended up fighting them later just because I was like, I want to challenge. I'll go fight these guys. I'll get some some souls. Um, so I, I fought through all of like the little grunts who were hanging out. And then I got to the fog wall that you're talking about. And there was a note on the ground that said, try luring out. So I was like, oh, shit. So I went and rested at the spot of grace right next to it. I go through the fog wall and it's just guys. It's just like my friends. Like Alexander the Pot was just standing there. And I was like, what's up? And he was like, it's so good to see you. And then a guy with a trumpet was like, it's time for the Radon Festival. Don't you love the Radon Festival? So I didn't have any of, I didn't have to do any side quest lines, no nothing. I showed up and then you talk to that guy and he's like, Radon sucks so much. Let me show you a cutscene about how bad he sucks. And yeah, that was my experience. So granted, I'm still stuck yeah. on that boss fight because I have brain worms and I'm like, I want to see if I can beat him one-on-one, mano a mano. And uh, so far- With no summons? Yeah, I wanted to see if I could do Come it without on. the summons. Come I have on. not managed to do it yet. So no. I think I might I might try doing just Alexander the Great Pot, though, because I have, like, a running storyline with my character in my head, and in it, me and Alexander are, like, best buds. So Okay, if you really like the pot guy, mm-hmm. so the latest patch did something to Jarberg. Have you been to Jarberg? No. Okay, Jarberg is an area in the same region as... Uh, Rhea Lucaria. Okay. It is a town of pots. And when I first went there, pre-patch, it was full mm-hmm. of pots, but none of them would talk to me. And it's oh. just a place where people, like, farm, like, crafting materials. Oh, the broken pots that you need. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, not no, not that, but, like, flowers and mushrooms. Oh, and, okay, like, okay. Yeah, like, flora and fauna. And apparently with this latest patch, I heard that you can make another pot friend there. And I what? went back to really? Jarberg, and I did, in fact, befriend another pot. So. Oh, that's awesome. Damn, yeah. I need to Go check this out. Go back to Jarberg. Yeah, please, please summon. I swear yeah. to God, like, you're, you're not going to have a good time. 
Um, are you doing it on horseback? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Holy shit. Okay. I'm just curious. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's so interesting. How, just, how different our experiences I, were. I really, it sounds like you had a little closer to, like, a regular Soulsborne experience, though, of, like, you get to a place, it's crawling with enemies, you beat the bosses, and then the game is, like, you must do this quest line before you can fight this boss, or whatever. I guess sending you on a yeah. wild goose chase to fight a boss is a little much, but I I found the experience with this boss to be so out of the ordinary, where it was, like, I show up to this place expecting a big fight, and there really wasn't much, and then the game is, like, Hark, you must fight Radon, and you can get a great whatever, a great rune. And I was like, I need one of those. And then the game just, like, lets you teleport directly to the boss. And it was, it's very, it's very strange, but the, holy yeah, shit. Yeah, the though. whole dunes, like, the whole chunk of Caleb is just, like, where the boss fight is. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. So, it, it's super weird. But I really like, yeah. like, spatially, I like that it doesn't just teleport you to a boss room that is, like, on another plane of existence. like. That that is the boss area, the boss arena is a place in Kaled that you could hypothetically get to normally. I'm assuming it's like in a canyon and you can't get to it because I haven't tried navigating out that far. But like, I really yeah. like that when you go to the Radon fight, it seems like you're teleported in the middle of nowhere. But if you open up the map, like you're in a place. So I think that's really cool. I think that uh, was really cool too. Yeah. Um. And so I did that, and then I got into some situations where. I found different dungeons in places, and I would get to the boss, and the boss would one-shot me, and I was like, oh, I'm not ready for this. Yeah. Um, and so that happened to me at three different locations, and I got pissed off, and so finally I was like, fuck it, I have the medallion of Dectus, let me open up that tower, let me do all that, and so now I'm in Lindell Capital City, baby, and oh, wow. uh, just unlocked a whole new chunk of the game. So. Damn, congrats. Yeah, there I am. Uh, so that's just my, my PSA to do your quest lines, kids, because holy shit, <laughs> did I make my life hard for myself. Or do whatever Noah did, just by, like, doing things out of order and Noah's somehow just... making life easier for yourself. I just don't play games right. I When the game when I hear that the critical path is to do X, Y, Z, I'm like, what if I started with Z? And usually it makes my life more difficult, but I guess in this case, I'm stuck on the fight still, so maybe it didn't make my life that much easier, but it definitely yeah. seems like it did something, so. What level are you? I'm like sixty one right now. 62? No, that's a good level for Radon. Most people are in the sixties. Yeah. I think I was about sixty two when I beat Radon. So I My think you're the is, correct level. Yeah. You just need to swallow your pride and hire the fucking summons, dude. My issue is just that since I'm like a battle mage, I can't take more than like two hits from the guy. So like, because I bounce oh. back and yeah, I'm not wearing like armor, like. I get within sword range and I'm I'm mincemeat. So Yeah. Yeah. Rockling and Summons. That's just <clears throat> the name of the game with Radon. I know it's I know it's wrong. I know it's cheesy or whatever, but like that's just how you do it. Um and then Persona three. Ooh. I I'm maxing out two social links that I do not like. Yeah. But I do enjoy the benefits of them in terms of like the what they offer me in battle. Mm-hmm. But uh I max out Kenji. And, like, Persona 3 spoilers, Kenji is just a guy who's really horny for your homeroom teacher, mm-hmm. and the entire social link is just you being an enabler and, like, hearing him out, and then finding out that, like, that relationship really wasn't going anywhere, and it was, like, super fucking weird. Uh, and you just have to, like, watch him fall on his face and fail. 
And then likewise, so is is Rio a character in FES? Let me. How's it spelled? R I O. She's on the volleyball team. Uh, I, guess, I guess she might not. No, she's on. only in Persona Three Portable. Okay, so for for listeners who haven't caught us talk about this in past episodes, Tori's playing Persona Three FES on the PlayStation Two, and I'm playing Persona Three Portable on the PSP, and we're like, I I believe we're like roughly around the same place. I'm at the beginning of July on the calendar, or like, I just made it past the July full moon event. Okay, I am like a week away from that full moon event. Um, Yes. The Persona games goes by a calendar. Three is similar to five. You have a real life calendar you're working through. But uh, so in Persona Three Portable, the social link that is associated with the sports teams. I want to say I've read that Rio is the same social link regardless of what sport you pick. But I picked volleyball, so I'm yes, volleyball it's team. the same with Kaz. You can okay. pick oh. uh, swim. I believe basketball or kendo, but it is the chariot link. Oh, okay. So in in Persona 3 Portable... And you're the, playing as a girl too, right? I am playing as a girl, yeah. That also and changes things. True, I didn't think about that. So I'm playing yeah. as a girl, and my friend on the volleyball team is Rio. She's the captain of the volleyball team, but she at the beginning of the social link, she pisses off the other team by like telling them to get over having boyfriends and girlfriends and devote themselves to volleyball. And she kind of alienates the team. And so it's all about you teaching her that, like, love and friendship and relationships are important and there's more to life than just volleyball. Oh, but my God, that's so wholesome. What the it fuck? Is. No, but the crazy thing is she she develops a crush on a boy and that boy is Kenji. She, like, her her, like, childhood crush is Kenji. So there's, like, a side plot line of Kenji wants to fuck his teacher, but Ryo loves him. And so I haven't fully maxed out that social link yet. But it's like she's trying to get Kenji to fall in love with her. So that's kind of cool the way the that's characters crazy. Like, yeah, I have a different Kenji subplot going on right now mm-hmm. with the Hermit social link where I play an MMO, I play an MMO online on Sundays. Oh. It's called Innocent Sin Online. It's Persona Two. Oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah, because Persona play... 2's subtitle was Innocent Sin, right? Yeah, and you play oh, cool. with a girl whose username is whose username is Maya. That's the main character from Persona oh. 2. Oh, that's cool. And she rent, she vents to you about how much she hates her job or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or, like, how she likes her job, but she's, like, really burnt down from it. And you find out through it and through the Kenji social link that your, like, MMO friend who you play with is your homeroom teacher. Who <gasps> Kenji was oh, my God. For. Really? Yeah. It's bonkers, man. It's bonkers. Which which arcana is the the online game one? Hermit. Okay, so the hermit in the female route of portable is you don't get the game because in the male version of the game, Junpei goes, "I love video games. Check out this video game." But in the female yes. route, he still has that dialogue line where he goes, "Like video games are so cool. I've been playing this cool game," but he doesn't give it to you, so you just never you never get to game because girls aren't gamers. Yeah, fuck that. But the hermit in the female route is a girl named Sayori or Saori. I'm not 100% on the pronunciation. And she's like, she's an exchange student. She's like a transfer student who's a few years older, but she's like in your grade. So she's like a couple years older and she's just really socially awkward. And I'm only at like rank four or five with that one. 
But that one's all mm. about like getting her to realize that the people around her like want to be friends with her. Like she's literally a hermit, like getting her to be less of a hermit and get out of her shell. So totally, oh. totally different. Yeah, it's cool. Okay. I have another I have another social link question for you then. Mm-hmm. Um so one of the social links you can get from the sports team as a boy is not just the friend who you play the sport with, mm-hmm. but with the team manager. So oh. On my swim team, the team manager is a girl named Yuko, and she is insecure about her body. She has body image issues. She keeps telling you she wants to lose weight. Um, and then you like also see that she like is a mentor to younger kids, and she is a romanceable option. And uh, I'm kind of like against my will romancing her to max out her social link. She's not really like who I want my like forever girl to be but she's like i might date her for a little while hmm. the max out her social link do you have like a team manager social link no and i looked up yuko and like i've seen that character model like she is on the volleyball team she's just not the manager and apparently in persona 3 portable so yuko is the strength arcana right yes she is in, in portable exclusive to the female protagonist's route the strength arcana has been replaced with the dog Koromaru. So I have not unlocked I haven't unlocked the social link yet. There must be some trigger or date thing I the haven't dog? gotten to. Yeah, apparently I can't start this social link until August 15th. But yeah, apparently the dog is a social link I can have in this game. So that's I don't know cool. if I can have the dog as a social link. I've met him. But I haven't had, like, a moment with them. Apparently you can't. So. The, the Shin Megami Tensei wiki says that Koromaru's social link is exclusive to the female protags route in Persona 3 Portable. So, oh my, you crazy. have to do that one. You gotta I'm do that one for me. I'm absolutely going to do that, yeah. Absolutely. I want to see what that dialogue option is like. It's just, so. uh, it's really neat. Are you... Oh, sorry. You were you were talking about social links. You were maximizing. Yes. So the one yeah. I was going to... The other one I was going to max was the guy on my swim team. His name is Kazushi or Kaz. And again, very enably, he has an injured knee, and if he keeps swimming on it like it's nothing, he's going to permanently injure himself and not be able to walk correctly ever again. Oh my god. And the whole social link is to hide the results of his like medical stuff from the coach and your teammates. Holy shit. And so now I'm getting close to maxing him out, and now he's having a change of heart and being like, I don't want to be I don't want to make myself disabled because I don't want my mother to have to take care of me for the rest of her life or whatever. And Jeez. I'm ga- I'm glad he's g- arriving to that point. But the first like eight links of the social link have just straight up been like enabling and lying for his sake. And it's just, I don't like that. I don't know. So just kind of just try to power through these social links so I can get to better ones. So I can, so I can max out the old couple at the bookstore. That's who I really care about here. If I'm being honest. But it seems like the girl social links are so much better. Yeah, I'm really enjoying the social links as a girl. Um, how are you enjoying like the combat, the dungeon crawling? Because I can't help but okay. compare this to Persona Five in my head. Oh really? Yeah, I will. Um, oh uh, Persona... yeah, it is like it is like mementos. It is all yeah. like mementos. It's very much. Yeah, like mementos. you're absolutely correct. Um, this is super weird. When I first played slash watched this game with my brother as a kid, I hated the combat. This game it was just too grindy for me. Mm-hmm. Probably why I, I capped out like before the first new moon or second new moon. Um, 
but I actually really like it and I find it to be soothing now. Hmm. And I don't know if it's because I'm playing it at the same I think it's actually because I'm playing it at the same time as Elden Ring. Oh. Where it's like very live combat and like, oh my god, and like yeah. you're gonna die and like this person will just like run you up while you're trying to drink a potion and just like kill your ass. Whereas in like persona games, you can like sit and make a decision and be like, yeah. what do I think is best? And like you cannot do that in Elden Ring. And I like the repetitiveness and like you can memorize the shadows and what their weaknesses are and like, oh, like these guys have fire, I'm gonna pull out Jack Frost. Like it's mm-hmm. just I don't know why. I find it to be soothing. I, it, it does help, too, that the combat in these games is almost more of a puzzle game than it is, like, a traditional RPG. Like, yes. granted, it is traditional RPG combat, like, pretty box standard, minus the press turn system. Or not, it's not press turn in this game, whatever they call it, like, the weakness thing. But, I mean, when you get into a battle, if you have enough magic points and you know that this guy's weak to wind, but this guy will repel wind, and this guy will suck up electricity and it'll heal him, like, it's really all about, like, Tetrising your way in and getting the right collection of um, weaknesses and stuff. That's really interesting to hear you say that about the combat, though, because I I have nothing wrong with, like, the combat. I do think it is a little grindy, I'm not going to lie. Um, I think the thing that I find the saddest from this game compared to Persona 5 is that in this game, all of the battles are against, like you said, shadows. And I really liked the change in Persona 5 where you were fighting quote-unquote shadows, but those shadows took on the forms of the traditional Shin Megami Tensei demons. Demons. Yeah. Yes. And, like, you still get the demons in this game, and so you still get, like, Jack Frost in your party, but I don't know. I get really bored with fighting the yeah, same three different shadow types. Yeah, because you're just fighting the same types. ten blobs. Yeah. Exactly. And... Blobs or boxes. <laughs> the demon designs are so cool, and they're so yes. memorable. They're like one of the best parts of this series, especially since like with the yeah. demon communication that is in the main Shin Megami Tensei games, and that they brought back into Persona Five. Like yes. you, each of the demons has a personality, and it, it would kind of be like if you were playing Pokemon, and every Pokemon you encountered was just like a black blob. But then when you caught it, it became a normal Pokemon. And so you only ever got to see Yeah, a magic Pokemon. Pokemon, but everyone's a ditto. Exactly. And right? so you only ever it's got boring. to experience the Pokemon as members of your team and never as opponents. And I don't know, it definitely loses something there. And a lot of, that is 100% purely in hindsight playing this game compared to a later game in the series. But it definitely is yeah. a bummer for me. Yeah, you will definitely enjoy SMG5's combat. Yeah, yeah. But I, um, I really am enjoying the story of this yeah. game. I like that there is... I love the story of this game. Oh, yeah. I think it's so cool. I think I it's like... so much more mature than, than the other ones. I, I think the thing that makes it feel that way, especially, is that there's so much friction among the team members. Like, Persona yeah. 4 has, like, a very Scooby-Doo-esque vibe to it. Like Yeah, we're all friends. And Persona 5, like, you're all united by a common goal. And granted, like, there's some difficulty here and there, and it takes time for some of the characters to come along, but eventually all the Phantom Thieves are united in, like, a common singular goal. But in Persona 3, like, you are fighting the shadows because you can see them, but various members of the team don't really know why they're doing it otherwise. Like, you are told by your elders that you're supposed to do it, but, like, Yukari especially, every time I talk to her, she's like, hey, they're being kind of pushy about this, and I don't really know why we're doing this. So 
Yeah, it's, or think it's about really like Fuka. Yeah. Yeah, think about Fuka and how she's kind of a pushover and like mm-hmm. Mitsuru is like I'm moving you out of your parents' house tomorrow yeah. to live with us and fight shadows with us. And I was like, "Holy shit, girl. That's yeah. a lot." So I, I then, know Mitsuru just as a ooh, that's a whole different like topic because yeah. her last name is Kurijo and yeah. um that sounds that sounds like something to me. Yeah. But I'm not there yet in the game. I just know uh yeah, no I last left off in the story where um they mention uh Tartarus having some sort of relation to the Kurijo group mm-hmm. uh and Mitsuru gets really uncomfortable and like shifts in her mm. seat and like is like yeah and it gets really uncomfy and everyone else in the team like notices that yeah and has like a little anime moment of like oh you know yeah, so i'm, I'm really excited to see where the story goes and i know you know it because you watched your brother play it but like i I'm... actually don't okay, I, well, I kind of know i know like know parts certain of it, landmarks yeah. mm-hmm. but i don't know how they get there or why they get there like i know i guess Mm-hmm. Is a person. She's a she's a, like a she's like a robot, a robot girl. Right? Yeah, Coromar. Like I know, I don't know how much you know about the end. So I, don't I, I don't know. You. I don't know anything about the end. Yeah. But I know how the answer ends. Okay, it's kind of fucked up. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how they get there. Yeah, this the so. furthest I ever made it in this game when I purchased it on PS3 was recruiting Fuka. So I am now I am now beyond stuff I've seen, and even then. I'm seeing it through the lens of a different protagonist and with a slightly different game system around it. So, like, everything is a little different than I remember, but I'm 100% in Uncharted Waters now. So, I'm having a lot yeah. of fun with it. Yeah, it's it's very exciting. So, I am, I have cleared out the second block. So, like, level, mm-hmm. so, or, so yeah, floor 64 yeah. is the highest I've gotten. And I have to wait till the next full moon so I can clear out the next block. I do really like to, before we move on from Persona, I we could spend another hour talking about Persona 3. Literally. Position. We need we, to save that to until we whole, like, we will have to do a whole episode. Persona 3 episode. Yeah, we yes. will. But in, in this game, rather than specific dungeons, the way it's set up like Persona 4 and Persona 5, like you said, the whole dungeon you're in is like Mementos, where you're going through various floors. But I do really like that like Mementos, you hit a cap eventually. And you can't proceed past that cap until the next big story event. And the story events always happen on the full moon. So I really like that it's like, okay, it's the start of a new chapter. I got a new month. That means I have to just keep going up until I hit the next cap. And then, boom, I can focus on social links. And so I knock it out, like, immediately, like, as quick as I'm able to so that I can focus on social links for the rest of the month. But I really like that. You don't have to play Me it too. Yeah. I do that. I do the exact same way. I front load mm-hmm. all of my shit. But then I'm wondering, like, I I feel like this game is really hard at letting you know mm-hmm. that you've over-leveled until you yeah. hit a boss and you're like, that was too easy. Yeah. Um, but then so, if you do the opposite, like, you're totally fucked. Then you're, they have, like, like literally have to start over, like, absolutely yeah. fucked. So I'd rather be, o- like, OP than under-leveled, but, like... I'm leveling up all my teams to, so mm-hmm. that they get, like, the next move on their persona. And it's, like, you know, like, I just said where I was in the game, and I'm trying to get everyone to, like, level 25. I'm like, is that too much? That <laughs> feels like a lot. I've, like, leveled up 10 times since the last new moon. That's kind of a lot, don't you think? So, I don't, I don't know, know if we'll you see. get this, but uh, I do get a kick out of when you front load all of the combat stuff so that you can just do social links. It's like the game knows that it's been more than a week since you've been to Tartarus, the big dungeon. 
So it'll be like yeah. you get home for the night and Akihiko will be like, well, let's quit messing around. Are we going to go to Tartarus or not? And I'm like, fuck you, Akihiko. I'm going to go romance someone or play games at the arcade. I'm going to go study my bedroom like I do every <laughs> fucking night. Yeah. It's so, a it's that, a good game. That's it's a it. good game. <laughs> yeah, it's a great game. I can't wait to talk to you even more about it. And from yeah. what I've heard, this game is really fucking long. I yeah. mean, I just saw my I saw my brother's last save on his memory card uh, when he beat the base game, not the uh, answer, and it's 105 hours. Yeah, we might have to so. uh, we might have to find a way to put a moratorium on some of our Persona talk in normal episodes because listeners are going to get real tired of us talking about Persona every week oh, for, God, in perpetuity. Um, yeah, we'll have to figure this out. But what, is else, what, what you, else is going on? Is that everything you've been playing? That is all I've been playing. Um, I am excited for Nintendo Switch Sports. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to lie. I love Wii Sports. I loved Wii Sports. No, you're valid and for that. I loved Wii Sports, too. Yeah, I, I'm excited for this one to come out. And also, Chrono Cross Radical Dreamers came out today. Am I not correct? Yeah. I believe it did. If not today, today, then yesterday. But I mean, that's all relative to when people are going to hear this anyway. So yeah. So just another one. It's another fucking JRPG in my list, man. But I got to do it. What about you? So yeah, I I wanted to compile a list of. This was mostly just for me. I was keeping this in my notepad of just like things I want to play that I keep hearing about because it just feels like it is just like endless amounts of cool new games coming out as well as, like, old games that I've been playing from my backlog and stuff. So, my list before I get into... Well, we've already mostly talked about what I've been playing. I've been playing Elden Ring. I've not been making near as quick a progress in Elden Ring as you have between, like, work stuff and trying to play Persona and just doing stuff. So, I love Elden Ring, but I just haven't been making as fast a progress on it. But between that and Persona 3, I some of the things I'm looking forward to... So... One game coming out real soon is Citizen Sleeper. This is uh, it's a cyberpunk game that is actually being made by people who are anti-capitalist. So I think that is hmm. immediately puts a notch on it is something I'm into. I know it's an adventure type game. I don't believe it's like point and click. I really don't know a whole much, lot about it, but I'm relatively familiar with like the guy making it. I know he has a podcast. It's being published by the team Fellow Traveler, and it's being developed by Gareth Damian Martin. And Gareth Damian Martin is at a couple of different podcasts. He had one podcast that I listened to a little of where he talked about Berserk and stuff like that. They seemed really cool. And I'm all in for anything set in a cyberpunk setting that actually, like, leans into what cyberpunk is supposed to be about, which is, like, hating corporations. So that sounds really yeah. cool. That one's that coming out on consoles, including the Switch and PC next month in May. Another one coming out soon is Nobody Saves the World. That one's finally coming out on Switch. We talked about Ugh. this a month or two ago. Yeah, this is the... Yeah, you said you really liked this one, right? It, it Well, I haven't touched it, but it looks really cool. It's the latest from Drinkbox Studios. Oh, you Studios. know who really loved it was oh. Alana. Alana yes. told me she loved this game. Oh, yes. did she? Okay. That makes yes. sense. Cause, she loves uh, this game. The, the folks at Into the Aether were really, really positive about this one. It's the latest from Drinkbox Studios, the folks who made Guacamelee, and it just looks really, really cool. Uh, it's got like kind of a top-down Zelda-ish arty thing kind of happening to it but it's all about like varying character classes and stuff and it was on xbox as a timed exclusive and when i saw it i was like that looks like it'd be perfect on switch and then promptly forgot about it and now that it's out i'm like it's gonna be out on switch i want to play it on switch you already mentioned the chrono cross remaster i 
I was actually talking to a couple of people about this. I'm not sure whether I actually want to purchase the Chrono Cross Remaster or if I just want it so that I can play Radical Dreamers, the text adventure novel, basically, that ties together Chrono Trigger and Chrono Cross. Frankly, I think that's a bigger deal that that has been released in English than the fact that this game got a remaster, but I'll probably end up getting it at some point, even though I already own it on the PS1. So there's that. And last big thing, uh, the new Lego Star Wars game came out. Have I knew you, you were going to say this. I knew oh, you were going to say this. Have you seen the video of this game? It looks crazy. Um, it does look cool. Like, I've, yeah. I've never really played any of these Lego games, except for, like, maybe Lego Harry Potter, like, at a friend's house once. See, I was big into the Lego games when I was a kid. Those hit, like, it's such a perfect time. I, I had the first Lego Star Wars very shortly after it came out for the GameCube. I've played all the I played all the Lego Star Wars games until I got to be a little older and I think they made one based on the Clone Wars and I didn't play that one and I didn't play the one based on episode 7. But this is Lego Star Wars back from a long hiatus. They have they're actually covering episodes 1 through 9. I've heard people say that the first of all it's funny as fuck. Like the videos I've been seeing online and the little TikToks that cut stuff out like it has such a good sense of humor and it's all voice acted. The old Lego Star Wars games were all done in like <laughs> like Banjo Kazooie speak, but and yeah, like overcooked. Yeah, like overcooked. <laughs> yeah, and some of the other Lego games they made since then, like Lego Lord of the Rings, I know was one all pulled dialogue from movies that they were based on, and then just used those clips. And so then a lot of the humor was visual gags. But for this one, it's a combo of old voices from the movies and bringing in the actors who played the characters in like the Clone Wars TV show and stuff like that. So there's like new voices for Anakin, for Obi-Wan, for characters like that, but it's like with actors who you're familiar with doing those voices. So that's really cool. That's cool. And but uh, that's one of those I I think Jesse will buy it. So yeah. I think I will probably be looking at it at some point. My my friend Nate who is probably listening to the podcast actually said that he got it uh, we were talking and i went he went are you gonna get lego star wars and i went maybe and he goes i didn't get elden ring so that i could get lego star wars and i was like you're probably the first person i've heard say that but that's, that is that's valid that is a new new type of guy new right type there. of guy just dropped but it it looks really cool i will say I, what can I, I say? The man knows what he likes. He knows what he likes, right? and I fucking respect him for it because <laughs> I too like Star Wars. I will say I don't remember who tweeted this. I'm stealing this thought from a tweet, so I apologize if this was you. But I did see somebody say like, seeing gameplay of this game, you can kind of see the crunch. And I like there was there were some oh. very serious stories about crunch coming out of Traveler's Tales when this game was being yes, developed. Yes, you are. You did mention this in a couple previous and episodes. There was, there was a Polygon article about it that I included in the show notes a past few episodes ago, and I'll drop it again in this one, where there was a Traveler's Tale employee who was quoted as saying, like, it seemed like every day they were adding new systems to the game. And I remember the employee said something to the effect of, like, yeah, we're making this game for kids. Why do we need to have a God of War-style tech tree added to it? And, I, like, I saw one of the first videos I saw of this game in action it was a character doing like a devil may cry style melee juggling combo so it's like like why what Every, i know everything i see of this game i'm like this looks great it looks like a very cool game but it looks like it has too many fucking systems layered on top of each other so that is purely from an outside viewer's perspective i cannot speak to it i have not played it it looks very funny and witty and cute but 
it definitely looks like there's just a lot happening in there that I don't know if the audience they're aiming for is an older audience this time, but I really do wonder if some of those systems are going to be a little alienating to kids, if they are something you have to grapple with to enjoy the game, but I don't know. Like, again, I was a stupid kid, so I might not have understood all those systems, but maybe fucking little Einstein's out there enjoying it, so that's the stuff I'm looking forward to. Uh, we've already talked about Persona and Elden Ring ad nauseum, but the only other thing I'm really playing is uh wasn't having enough time spending on my portable PSP, so I charged up my 3DS and got out Fire Emblem Awakening to, uh, to, to pregame Alana coming on the podcast last week. I listened to the three-hour episode she did with the Into the Aether podcast on Fire That's Emblem Awakening. man. Well, I, hey, it was very funny because uh, before we even got her on the show, I was like, I've read so much of your writing and listened to like roughly four hours of you on another podcast that I already feel like I know you. And excellent episode of a podcast, by the way. And it really yeah. reminded me of how much I fucking loved Fire Emblem Awakening. And I have busted that game out again. Fire Emblem Awakening is a fucking incredible game. Like, if you are somebody who has only ever really played Fire Emblem Three Houses, which is a game that I really like, but did not quite scratch the same itch that Fire Emblem Awakening did for me, I cannot recommend jumping into it enough. It's got so many, like, really cool characters, and, like, really, it's a good strategy game. Like, and so it's been kind of funny switching back and forth between my 3DS and my PSP, like hopping back and forth between generations forth. of portable consoles. I mean, I'm going, I'm hopping back and forth between a PS2 and a PS5. Yeah, that'll do it. That'll do it. Is, yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's pretty much it for this week. No, anything yeah. else? Pretty much everything I'm playing. Um, I think we got all the news covered. Tori, where can people find you on the internet tweeting about Persona? You can find me. Yeah, you can find me tweeting about all sorts of things, including the Beatles documentary on Disney Plus, oh. um, which I've been tweeting about extensively. Ooh. I, uh, yeah, maybe too much. I'm kind of obsessed with it. Um, <laughs> I had I had a really big Beatles phase in middle school. Please don't judge me. That's that's okay. That's okay. It's fine. You can find me on Twitter tweeting about all, all sorts of shit uh, at Tori underscore as underscore always. I'm on Twitter at Noah underscore Hertz, spelled H-U-R-T-S. The show is on Twitter at press underscore start pod. And you can email us at kpressstart at gmail.com. Don't hesitate to reach out if you've got game recommendations. Uh, those are always welcome, even if they are unsolicited. Always send game recommendations our way and uh, anything. You can also rate and review the podcast, presumably on whatever app you're on. I know, like, Apple Podcasts lets you leave review reviews, but Spotify only lets you leave, like, star reviews. So do that. Do whatever floats your boat. Um, all of our music, and we didn't have a big if true this week, but if we had, our sound effects would be by the artist Geist. You can listen to more of their music at noahgeist.bandcamp.com, and our show art is by Kai at Wisp Graphics. And I think that's a wrap. Everybody go play lots of games. Bye.